Stand up. Let's just do all the verses. No, I'm just kidding. John 8, 21 through 30 is our scripture passage this morning. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,662. 1,662. The reason for choosing Psalm 149 is that Hardness of heart that was being spoken of there is so perfectly being expressed in the Jewish leaders that Jesus is dialoguing with. John eight twenty one, the Word of God says this, Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. But he continued, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you, they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you. But he who sent me is reliable, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word may he bless into the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Have you ever read the story of Joseph and his brothers and were so entertained by that one scene? That one scene, you know which one I'm talking about. The one where his brothers come before him and us, the readers... Know that it's Joseph, right? But his brothers don't. It's intriguing. It's interesting. It's, it's fun because the audience, us, the readers, we are keen to something that Joseph's brothers are not. We know details that they don't know. And there's all kinds of movie scenes like that where we get that same feeling. John, the gospel writer here, is doing the same thing. He's saying, you, the readers of John's gospel, you, the ones who have been given faith in Jesus Christ, know who Jesus Christ is. But look at these Jews, these Pharisees, these religious leaders. They can't get it. They don't get it. Therefore... We are keen to something that they are not. But in this case, it is not something that makes us greater. It is something that reveals to us the greatness of God's grace. For if not for the grace of God, our hearts would be just as unbelieving and hard as the Jews 
in our text today. Our theme this morning, to believe in Christ is to escape the death of unbelief. To believe in Christ is to escape the death of unbelief. What about this Christ are we being provoked, called to believe this morning? First, we are called to believe that Christ is the great I am. And secondly, we are being called to believe that Christ is the Son of Man. Christ, the great I am, verses 21 through 24, and Christ, the Son of Man, verses 25 through 30. So let's get into it. In verse 21, the scene is set. In verse 21, we read, once more Jesus said to them. This phrase functions as a transition, at least in the focus of Christ's presentation, while notifying you, the reader, that the previous discourse is not coming to an end, but actually continuing, the themes previously addressed are now going to be expanded upon. So if you remember what we preached on last week, we preached on the identity of Christ and the hardness of these Jews uh, and not believing it. And, and it's, it's almost as if Christ here is then ramping it up another phase, right? He's saying, okay, well, you didn't, you didn't get it then, so I'm going to make the stakes even higher. I'm going to press even harder, right? The only indication of an audience change could be understood as that the reference to the Pharisees in verse 13 is replaced with the reference to the Jews in verse 22. This should not confuse us, though, because these terms are often used synonymously in John's gospel. They identify the same group, those who are opposed to Christ. It's also important to notice that the once more could be in reference to the fact that what Christ is about to say to the Jews is something that, in fact, he has already said to them. What is it that he has already said to them? Well, look at the words, I am going away, and you will look for me. Where I go, you cannot come. Chapter 7, verse 33 says these very words as well. He said in chapter 7, verse 33, I am with you for only a short time, and then I go to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Jesus has said this to this group already. This is in reference to his death. Christ is going to his Father in his death. Remember the words, into your hands I commend my spirit. And the Jews will continue to look for him. This could be understood as they will continue to look for a Messiah, right? One that fits their ideals and their agenda. And we know this for after Jesus' ascension into heaven, many messiahs rose up and took the party platform of the Pharisees and they were approved by them. Except in this case, as in comparison to when Christ mentioned this in chapter 7, he ramps it up. In chapter 7, he simply said, you will not find me. Here he says, the reason they will not find him is, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will die in your sin. You will die in your sin. The sin in mind here is the sin of unbelief. 
the sin of rejection of God's Holy One, the Lord of glory. You see, the Jews in John's gospel are the prime exemplar, the prime expression of this sin. If you wish, if you desire to know what unbelief looks like, it looks like the Jews who have long awaited for their Messiah, the Holy One that would come and save them from their sins, the Holy One expressed in Isaiah 53 in language that cannot be confused or misunderstood, who are looking into the face of the light of the world and who are saying, I will not have you as my Messiah. Where Christ goes, they cannot go, because to reject the Son is to reject the Father who has sent the Son. Therefore, they will not be permitted to enter into the Father's presence on the last day. This is Jesus, the light of the world, shining in the darkness, issuing a warning to them to repent and believe, proclaiming to them, you will die in your sin. In verse 22, we see the Jews... Response. The previous time that Christ spoke of his going away to the same audience, they inferred that maybe he meant that he intended to leave Jerusalem and spread his teaching abroad to the diaspora, the dispersed Israelites who lived among the Greeks and maybe even to the Greeks. This time their assumption is much more serious. They wonder if he is considering suicide. Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? This, uh, this guess is very serious because in Jewish tradition, suicide is considered to be a grievous sin, one which guarantees your destination is hell. In this sense, the Jews are saying, even now, We are superior, we are better than this Jesus of Nazareth who would even consider such a thing as suicide. Of course, we're not going to go where he's going. He's going to hell. D.A. Carson says of this, this is almost certainly an ironic prophecy, though, of Jesus' death. His opponents are wrong to think he will achieve his departure by killing himself. Unwittingly, they are nevertheless profoundly right, for he goes away by voluntarily laying down his life, not in suicide, but in submission to his father's will, in a violent death meted out by his enemies, in fact, a violent death meted out by them. They speak to one another in this, though. They say to one another, is he talking about suicide? And not to Christ. They do not ask him what he means. They assume what he means. Therefore, Christ interjects to inform them why they cannot understand what he is saying to them. In verses 23 and 24, Christ answers back. Verse 23, Christ tells them that the reason they cannot grasp, the reason they cannot understand, the reason they cannot see, they cannot hear and understand who he is because they are from two different places. Their origins are the difference. Christ is from above. They are from below. Christ is not from this world. They are from this world. Now this is not John making a dualistic divide between the spiritual world and the natural world. 
Rather, Ritterboss says in his commentary, this is the contrast between the world of God and God's spirit in which light and life are created and the world of human God, humankind and its creaturely dependence and fallen existence. Carson puts it in a similar, similar way, but it may help us clarify what's being told to us here. The contrast is between the realm of God himself and the realm of his fallen and rebellious creation. The world which hates Jesus because he testifies that what it does is evil. This is why Christ's opponents cannot recognize him for who he is or even understand what he is saying. They're operating on a whole different level of existence. John 1 says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The Jewish audience here is that first part. Christ was in the world, but the world did not recognize him, even though the world was made through him. He came to his own, but his own did not receive him. In verse 24, though, Christ continues. Earlier, he warned them that they would die in their sin. Yet, we need to understand this is not a prophetic proclamation with no condition and inescapable fate. Christ gives his reason for the pronouncement he made in verse 21. In verse 24, he says, I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that ego a me, if you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sins. We see here the sin, singular going to the sins, plural, is to be understood as the sin of unbelief leads to a variety of expression of sinful behaviors and attitudes and heart expressions. What Christ is saying here, though, is profound. He's pushing the Pharisees, these unbelieving religious leaders, closer and closer to the tipping point, to the ultimatum. Christ here is not saying, I am the bread of life. He's not saying, I am the light of the world. He is not saying, I am the living water. He is saying, I am. I am. Now, if you don't see that here in verse 24, that what is being told to us, particularly in the original Greek, if you see in your NIV translations the bracketed phrase, the one I claim to be, and look down at the footnote, it says, I am he. Those words are not there in the original Greek. Those are there to clarify possibly what Christ is attempting to communicate. But if you were to read it in the Greek, it would read like this. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am, you will indeed die in your sins. The confusion is that Christ is saying I am, but he has no descriptor. I am what? I am who? What does that mean? Well, if anybody here is familiar with the Old Testament, you will immediately recognize Exodus 3.14, where Moses asks God to identify himself by name. 
Moses says, what am I to tell the people of Israel who sent me? God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. In the Greek translation of the Old Testament called the Septuagint, which would have been familiar to Jesus' audience that he was speaking to in that moment, the Jews, the words are, tell them ego a me has sent you. Tell them ego a me has sent you. What does Jesus say? Unless you believe that ego a me, you will die in your sins. Christ is applying to himself the divine name of God. He's claiming divinity as clearly as can be. He is saying that he is the one speaking through the prophet Isaiah saying, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that ego a me. Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed, I and not some foreign God among you. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient days, ego, me. No one can deliver out of my hand when I act who can reverse it. Isaiah chapter 43, verses 10 through 13. Jesus is saying, Before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. There is no Savior apart from me. I am God. I am ancient of days. I am. Carson states that in Isaiah the context demands that I am He means I am the same. I am forever the same, and perhaps even, I am Yahweh, with a direct allusion to Exodus 3.14. People of God, if Christ was not the God-man, what he is claiming to himself here would be blasphemy. He is calling his audience to believe in his person. All that the scripture ascribes to him and all that it tells them to expect from him. This is an absolute claim, an all or nothing claim. This is Christ saying, I am the great I am. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son. And unless you believe that I am God, you will die in your sins. But what about Christ the Son of Man? Verse 25, the Jews respond, Who are you? They asked. This is not a genuine question. We should read this with a tone of mockery. Oh, who are you then? This reveals their continued spiritual hardness. It seems a rather obvious question in the face of a mysterious claim, such as, unless you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. But it's only an obvious question to those who cannot see the light of the world shining bright before them. So it reveals the spiritual blindness of the religious leaders. This is not a serious question. It's filled with contempt and sarcasm. Christ's reply expresses how he will not accommodate himself to their unbelief. He's exasperated with their continued hardness. Who he is is what I've been claiming all along, as the NIV says. Or the ESV translation says, 
just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Christ's testimony remains the same. You know what my claim is, he says. You already tried to stone me to death earlier for claiming to be God. You are suppressing the truth. What I've been telling you since the beginning. What have I been telling you all along? I've been telling you this from day one. Verse 26, Christ continues. I have much to say in judgment over you and what I've heard, but he who sent me is reliable and what I've heard from him I tell the world. Carson understands Christ to be saying that the contrast between the revelation he mediates from the Father and the stance of his hearers is so great that what he is saying about them but what, that what he is saying is about them, but inevitably in judgment of them. The judgment consists in his declaration of truth. Because in his declaration, the deficiencies of their beliefs and practices are being exposed. This is not something Christ has made up independently. He does not speak on his own as he continues this refrain. He who sent me is trustworthy, and what I have heard from him I tell the world. Christ is, of course, speaking of his Father, the one that stands with him, who testifies on his behalf, the one whose will he has come to accomplish. Ritabah says, he utters as God's message in the world what he has heard from God. These words confirm, despite the Jews' incomprehension, that only belief that it is he, that he is I am, can save them and the whole world from dying in their sins. Verse 27, John, the gospel writer, gives us an insight. He informs us that Jesus' audience didn't understand that he was speaking about his Father. This is John informing us not that the audience didn't grasp that Christ was claiming God as his Father, but that they continued to express an incomprehension rooted in unbelief. They do not understand because they choose to not understand. This is the insight that we have that they don't. That we, the reader, are keen to, but they are not. But in the face of this blatant unbelief, Christ says, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He. Then you will know that ego a me. To Nicodemus, Jesus said, The Son of Man must be lifted up in order that everyone who believes may have eternal life in Him. Who is this Son of Man? Daniel 7 tells us who he is in one of his night visions. He proclaims in this prophecy, And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man, Christ said to the Pharisees as they accused him and tried to get him to testify so that they could crucify him. You will see me coming on the clouds. Daniel says, Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. What is being described here is Christ in his ascension giving, being given the kingdom and the nations. In Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. 
This is what John's gospel is building up to. The the glorification of Christ is encapsulated for John. It's entirely contained in the crucifixion of his Savior. When we hear of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ in John's gospel, to John, that is all his glorification and exaltation and ascension. It's all encapsulated. It's all collected in that one redemptive moment, the crucifixion, the lifting up of Jesus Christ upon the cross. The cross is the complete revelation of the divine glory manifested in the Son. The cross is his exaltation. It is his glorification. In fact, the Greek word translated here, lifted up, in this verse, can also be translated exalted. That is the irony of John's gospel. He is saying, when the world looks upon the cross, they don't see exaltation. They don't see glorification. They see a dying criminal. But when a believer looks upon the cross, they see glorification. They see exaltation. They see the Son of Man receiving His kingdom and His dominion which shall never pass away. The wisdom of God is foolishness to the world. Jesus is saying to the Jews that in the moment of his exaltation, in the moment of his being lifted up, it will be as if the veil is pulled back and they will realize that their very own actions were used by God to bring about the redemption of all sinners. That will be when they will have the insight. They will be keen to what we are keen to. And they will have the truth of Christ's identity revealed to them. They will realize that their victim will prove to be their judge. This knowledge that Christ is speaking to them of here, though, is not a knowledge of salvation. It is a knowledge of judgment. Not only would the cross be Christ's vindication, it would reveal that he had acted and spoken all by his Father's authority. I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the Father has taught me. For I always do what pleases Him. Not what pleases you, believing, unbelieving Jewish leaders. What pleases my Father. This is something that gave Him confidence in the face of opposition. Gave our Savior strength in the face of the world which He had created that is now rejecting Him. And in verse 29, as Christ considers this approaching moment where he will be lifted up upon the cross, as he faces the unbelief of his own people and the near desertion of his closest friends, he is comforted with the reality of his Father's constant presence and approval. He says, the one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases Him. Christ is not alone. Christ is pushing the envelope in the face of unbelief. He is saying, unless you believe that I am, 
You will die in your sins. He is saying that if you wait until the moment where I am lifted up upon the cross and it is revealed that I am that son of man from Daniel chapter 7, you will die in your sins. So the opportunity is put before them. To believe in Christ is to escape the death of unbelief. Here is Christ, the great I am. Here is Christ, the Son of Man, who received from the Father power and a kingdom which shall have no end. Here he is in the face of unbelief, refusing to accommodate for those who are from below, who are of the world. And it may seem that such an encounter would cause us to cry out, as his disciples did once, who then can be saved? If these Jews could not see the light of the world standing in front of them, If they could not see who Christ was, God himself, the Son of Man, the Son of God, then how can anyone? But verse 30 gives us a glimpse into the glory of God's grace. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Is it because they felt the force of Christ's logic and arguments? Is it because they saw that Christ was a powerful speaker, a personality they could get behind? Is it because they found Christ entertaining and engaging? I like his stories. No. The only answer can be they believed Christ. They put their faith in him because in that moment the Father chose by his grace to reveal to them that Christ is the great I am. Christ is the Son of Man. They revealed. They were revealed. Had revealed to them. Christ is the Son the Father has sent. They believed because of what Christ said in Matthew chapter 11 after he proclaimed judgment upon all the towns and cities he visited who would not believe in his preaching and gospel. He turns to his Father, and Christ says this, I praise you, Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Matthew chapter 11, verse 25 to 27. The question is, have you believed? Have you believed? If you have, I urge you to come again and again to this Christ, the living water, the light of the world, the great I am, the Son of Man who was lifted up upon the cross, that you may have forgiveness of sins and newness of life in Him. Come and come again over and over. He will never run out, and you will always have your full. Have you believed? If you have not, may I urge you to come to the Savior. If you hear my voice this morning, 
it is not too late for you. If you hear my voice this morning, may you hear the proclamation of Christ, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. If you hear my voice this morning, listen to the words of Christ as he beckoned to the lost and the broken. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. To believe in Christ is to escape the death of unbelief. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your words. We thank you that you have gifted us with faith. May we strengthen that faith all the more as we have revealed to us in your word, Christ, the Lord of glory. May we, as we look upon these passages, praise you that you have softened our, our hearts and caused us to believe that we may proclaim that your Son is God, that your Son is the Son of Man, whose kingdom we belong to, whose kingdom we share as co-heirs with Christ. Father, may we also have a burden to proclaim Christ to others. But those who are still within the death of unbelief, by your grace, may come to know and to have faith in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.